Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 315 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good when speaking with you. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start here. Last Friday, October 22nd, at the Olympia Theatre in Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada. Over here, um, an interesting fight, really. It was the first fight, I believe, for the WBC um, Bridgerweight World title. We had Oscar Rivas, who weighed in, by the way, 222 and a quarter pounds for this fight. He took on Ryan Riziki, the undefeated, I think he was a light heavyweight, um, who only weighed in at 203 pounds. So again, I'm not sure, you know, if, if they're doing this bridge weight thing right, but it is what it is. Oscar Rivas, it was supposed to be against Bryant Jennings. He pulled out the fight. Um, so in stepped Ryan Riziki, 13-0, 13 KOs. Very, very game, I felt Riziki was. I expected Rivas to get him out of there. He hurt Riziki in the very first round. But um, he was very uh, unimpressive, I guess, really, Oscar Rivas. When you look at the entire performance, he seemed to, uh, you know, get get quite tired in there. And even though he was able to completely overpower his man and push him around the ring, bully him, use his size, he was he was you know he just didn't do enough and um, he won the fight unanimously over twelve rounds. He had a point deducted in round twelve for a low blow, but um, yeah, very lackluster performance, it made me think a lot of heavyweights can probably beat this guy, and I didn't feel like that after he lost narrowly to, to Dillian White a couple years ago, he's been inactive really since then, and um, yeah, I think he's lost a step maybe, you know, I'd pick a lot of guys to beat him based on that performance there. Uh, moving out now to the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. Um, we're going to start here with the undercard wins for Nico Ali Walsh by KO in round three against against uh, James Wesley II, who's now one and one. Uh, Wesley down in rounds two and three. We had um, the young, I think he's 19 years old from Puerto Rico, or Puerto Rico, I should say, Xander Zayas, now 11-0, a retirement win after four rounds. His opponent, Dan Carpensi, had never been stopped in, in his three losses. He was 9-3 and three with a draw, now 9-4 and four with a draw. He retired after four rounds. Very impressive there from the young 19-year-old. And the son of Evander Holyfield, Evan Holyfield, now 8-0, a KO for him in round two against Charles Stanford who's now 6-4. and four. So, three knockout wins for the three young prospects, Nico Ali-Walsh, Xander Zayas, and Evander Holyfield. And let's move on to the main event. Friend of the show, Jamel Herring, dethroned of his WBO World Super Featherweight title. Um, 
23 and 3 now his record he was knocked out unexpectedly in round 10 against Shakur Stevenson who like I say doesn't really put too many people away he's now 17 and 0 he's now uh, you know a two weight world champion still undefeated and he looks sensational by the way um, gutted for Jamel Herring I don't have to go into how uh, how you know nice of a guy he is how much he's he's, he's adored on this show um, you know, but yeah, he was completely, completely outclassed for every second of that fight. I'm going to fly through my take real quick here. Round one of Stevenson round, um, he was beating Heron to the punch already. He looked really sharp straight away. He landed some good shots with both hands and Heron was second best. Stevenson um, firing out a, a sharp and powerful jab as well as early as that first round. Round two, he started to up the work rate, Stevenson. He started to beat Jamel up and I, I hated to say it, but he was... Uh, you know, he really was doing that, and he was very active as well, offensively, which isn't always the way he fights. He's, he's, you know, a lot of the time a kind of back foot type of boxer. I felt that Jamel needed to get the center of the ring. That's what I felt going into the fight, but he wasn't doing that. He gave up the center of the ring. Shakur was the aggressor. Shakur's judge of distance seemed to be on another level. Jamel had a real lack of head movement throughout the fight. He you know, he just simply got outclassed in every area, and it was hard to watch, you know, Jamel, uh, you know, one of my absolute favorite people in boxing, you cannot dislike the guy, he's got such a, um, you know, unbelievable story, a very sad story, and to think he's gone from the bottom to the top quite literally is is nothing but inspirational, so it was sad to see him lose in the fashion he did, he was so second best, Stevenson heavily dominated, um, I gave Stevenson every round, by the way. Uh, Heron did have some minor success in, in the later parts of some of the rounds, but not enough to win any rounds, like I say, and it was just all Stevenson. I felt that the corner needed to think about throwing the towel in. I know, obviously, Jamel is a super-duper proud man, and... Uh, you know, the fight was one, you know so one-sided. I, I, it was almost like two guys were fighting one. Um, but yeah, I, I felt they should think about throwing a towel in, but I also thought they're probably not going to do it. Jamel wouldn't allow him to do that. He was trying his absolute best. Um, I felt you could maybe, maybe give him round eight, if anything. That was the only round I felt he might have just about maybe nicked. He landed a nice left hand in that round. But yeah, like I say, his successes were so few and far between. And in that 10th and final round, Jamel got cut. The doctor had a look. Jamel bravely carried on. Shakur pieced together some some big shots after that. And it was a good stoppage in the end from the referee. Um, yeah, he was starting to get bludgeoned, Jamel. And like I say, I cannot... I cannot express how sad it was to see that. But how special, on the other hand, is Shakur Stevenson? I mean, he's been on the show. He's a friend of the show. And it was by far his career best performance. And I've got to say, that has got to be one of the most dominating, um, you know, world title attempts of 2021. To come in and snatch away a title from a champion in that fashion. That dominant. I mean, it was, it was almost as punch perfect as can be he was pretty much flawless this time out Shakur Stevenson and he in some ways needed a big performance coming off that last fight it was a little bit boring against the Namibian policeman and pub owner um, Jeremiah Nakafila he kind of needed a performance that's going to make people wow over him again because it had been a few performances people were going okay you know he's very good he's very good but I'm not sure he's got that wow factor but that performance there I think was the one that will elevate him to that next level because he looked 
on another level to to Jamel, who, as I said, was the longest reigning champion at the weight. Um, I think he'd been champion for a couple of years. But anyways, that's it for my take. Um, Eddie, what did you make of it? It was such a dominant performance from Shakur, and you've got to applaud it. No, 100%, man. He changed my view of him. Not that I had a negative view. I already thought he was a really talented fighter and all that, and I've seen him fight a few times. You know, you see some of his YouTube stuff where he was sparring with some of the other elite guys at 135 and all. And, you know, he's he's you know he's right there with them. However, I was just thinking about, you know, he's, he's a smaller guy coming up to those weights. He's going to be moving up eventually to challenge those other guys. I just I didn't see the performance from him previous to this that um, kind of like said, OK, well, he's a little above them or you know, at least worthy of that challenge necessarily, even though I knew he had the talent. But when he got in there with Jamel, as bad as it was to see Jamel go through it, it was just, like you said, man, he was completely outclassed in every way. And I didn't want to say it, you know, before the fight because I felt, you know, give him a chance, give Jamel a chance. But I already knew Shakur was, like, one of the most talented guys there is, you know, and I know he has the ability and the skill to, you know, to, to take, a, take apart any fighter. But you figure, you know, Jamel with the experience, he's been he's been around, you know, he's he's been through the ups and the downs and, and, and could I feel like he could go get it if he had to. But it was just too big of a, a skill gap. You know what I mean? It just showed in every way. Range. He understood how to how to fight him, you know, perfectly with range. Even southpaw versus southpaw. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's a little weird for southpaws to fight other southpaws. It didn't look that way with Shakur. He just made it look like walk in the park to be honest and i mean don't get me wrong jamel had his moments you know what i mean he made it look a little interesting at times he was you know being tough just like he is you know trying to go get it but he was just taking too much punishment he could not he couldn't get the speed of, of shakur and even on the inside which was crazy even on the inside shakur was real crafty on the inside making a miss even at you know at close range of making the pay and um like I said, man, I really he really elevated a lot in my view of of that skate that landscape and that those divisions down there where you know those guys are kind of like closely you know matched up. It's like you would think you know you talk about Devin Haney, you talk about um, Tiafimo Lopez and Lomachenko is you know all of these guys, and then also you can't forget about Tank and uh, you know those guys Ryan in that. Garcia. And Ryan Garcia, too. And, and it's just like there's so many little talented guys. But I felt like with this performance, he has put himself without a doubt in the conversation of one of the top two. And it's like I, even when I think about Tiafimo Lopez and how good he is and how powerful and explosive he is and, and who he's fought, you know, him beating Lomachenko, I still, like, I think about Tank and I just think of how explosive and tough Tank is. And it's just hard for me to think that even a guy as good as Teofimo Lopez would be able to stop him. I feel like I've seen Teofimo a little bit more pressured, a little bit more, um, you know, like vulnerable. When you think of the uh, fight with Lomachenko, you know, in the second half of the fight, and I just feel like Tank is so explosive. He, if he gets an opportunity, if he's going to land his, he's going to make him feel it to the point where I don't think he would make it. You know what I'm saying? That's just my opinion. Uh, but I feel like the difference with Shakur is that he's extremely good defensively and if he has to make it a stinking fight as bad as it may be on it on, on you know in, in, on his resume or or it would still be a good thing if he won 
You know what I mean? This is like Floyd. Floyd used to win fights that were ugly and boring, but it was what he had to do to win. You know what I'm saying? If it was exciting, he might have lost. So I think that that's the one thing that Shakur has in his bag. I think Shakur has the ability to win fights that may not be aesthetically pleasing. And I think some of these other guys, including Devin Haney, have a hard time with that. Like I was watching, you know, De- watching Devin Haney fight. Um, what's the kid? Uh, the, the the guy, the, I can't remember his name. The last fight he had, where he had a tough end of the fight. Fought a, fought a, he's a good puncher. I cannot remember his name right now. Linares. Linares. There you go, Linares. And I just think a guy like Shakur, even though Linares is tough and he's good, I just feel like he would out outclass him and outbox him when they got touched. As good as Devin Haney is and as much skill as he has, I feel, I feel like sometimes he has trouble with separating himself completely. And I just don't – I think Shakur has a better, you know, idea of that. Like, he has that – if I got to land one punch and make them miss all the rest of them, I feel like he can do that. You understand what I'm saying? Um, I don't know about Devin. I feel like Devin Haney still tries to force it a little bit too much. You know what I mean? But – Aside from that, extremely good performance. One of the better ones that you're going to see, especially against another world championship-level fighter like Jamel. And the sky's the limit for him. As long as he stays focused, trains hard, and, and continues to get better, both offense, both offensively and defensively, keeps that IQ rocking, he's going to be a force for years to come. Trust me. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are now thinking that, um, you know, he will be so dominant in years to come. And obviously, you mentioned about those fights. Obviously, at the minute, he has moved up from featherweight 126 to super featherweight 130. A lot of the fights you mentioned are 135 fights like Devin Haney, like, uh, you know, the list of guys that you mentioned, Tiafimo Lopez. I'd love to see him at 130 um, against Oscar Valdez. That's a fight he's called for straight away. I'd love to see him in with Lomachenko at 130. That, of course, is Lomachenko's more suited weight than 135. I think we all agree. And um, the other fight I wouldn't mind seeing him is is a Javante Davis fight. I think he should be at 130. He shouldn't really be campaigning at 135. I'm not sure where he's going to be. But yeah, there's so many fights for him down the line at 130 and at 135. Should he move up and take on a Garcia, take on a uh, you know, a Haney take on, uh, you know, other guys. But anyway, for those people that may have been wondering how Jamel Herring is getting on, I have spoken to him um, just over text a little bit. Um, and he's he's in good spirits. He's in a good place at the minute. So I think there's going to be an announcement what he's going to do next. So look out for that. But the important thing is he is doing well after that, that defeat. Uh, in, the, in that fashion on the weekend but that brings the review part to a close that is the end of the review part the final thing for me to do is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast ladies and gentlemen please welcome the reigning and undefeated wbo super bantamweight champion of the world it is of course mr stephen fulton stephen welcome to the show my man hey don thanks i appreciate it Hey, I appreciate you coming on, Stephen. I really do. So first things first, it's, it's a great pleasure of mine to have you on. Um, I want to start with, obviously, your nickname. Used to be Scooter, now it's Callboy Steph. Where do these nicknames come from, and why is it now Callboy Steph in 2021? Uh, Scooter. I mean, people still call me that. Uh, my family, of course, friends, of course. People in Philadelphia that know me calls me Scooter. So that name isn't going anywhere. That's stuck with me for the rest of my life. I got that from my father when I was born. He just started calling me Scooter. Um, 
cool boy stuff came when I was 13. I started boxing at 12, but it came when I was 13. Uh, MySpace days, social media, of course. Uh, you know, I carried myself as a cool individual, same as one of my, my other homies was Todd, a cool guy. So, you know, we were, we were, we were in our cool phases at the time, and it just stuck with me. And I feel like it was destined because I kind of carried myself cool inside and outside of the ring. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. Now, I want to talk about the biggest night of your boxing career so far as a pro. Obviously, January 23rd of this year in Connecticut, you dethroned Angelo Leo of the world title. I remember staying up to the early hours of the morning to watch it live. Tell me about that fight and what it meant to you to achieve a world title in just 19 fights, Stephen. Uh, it meant everything. It was a great experience. It meant everything to me because, you know, I'm world champion. Uh, sometimes I still sit and be like, damn, I'm a world champion. Or, uh, sometimes it still seems unreal at times. But take I, I took all of that in, that experience. Everything was just great about it. And, it. and I feel like it made me a better fighter as well as it showed me a different side. It showed people a different side of me that they'd never seen before. Of course, we, we've seen it inside the gym and uh, just life life things that I've gone through. I, I kind of like to get dirty and fight. I feel like that gave the outsiders uh, another glance at what I can do. And that's not even all of it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's not that you beat Angelo Leo. It's how you beat Angelo Leo. I mean, I remember expecting him to probably lose to Tremaine Williams. Obviously, he beat Tremaine much easier than I thought he would. Uh, When you fought Leo, I expected, like many others did, a hard fight. But you beat him seemingly at his own game. You brought the fight to him. You showed people an area of your game that a lot of people didn't know you had. Um, That was the perfect way to snatch a title off of a champion decisively. Is, Is that something you'd agree with? For sure, for sure. I feel like no matter what fight I have, as, as as much as I keep stepping up in fights or for titles or whether it's weight class or opponent, money, titles, I feel like I will always take it to that next level. Always. And your hometown of Philadelphia seems to produce world-class fighters again and again and again. Why is the boxing talent so rich in Philly, non-stop, in your opinion? I feel like this goes back and, you know, uh, Joe Frazier days and things of that sort. We always been great fighters, you know, not not just for the gym wars, but we we train hard. It's the, how we grew up in Philadelphia is very different than how others grew up wherever they're from. Uh, I think it's just got to do with where, where we come from, how we grew up and what our resources, our connects, uh, our mindset it has to do with a lot I can't just pinpoint one thing it's a lot that, that comes with the fully being a fully fighter yeah absolutely and like I say there's so many fighters it just pumps through all these full of talent fighters at all different weight classes again and again and again uh, moving on to your next fight it's a mouth-watering one you'll be unifying your WBO world title against the WBC world champion Brandon Figueroa you're both world champions you're both undefeated you both thankfully overcome COVID-19 you both had to deal with fights being postponed because of the virus um, I'm guessing you just cannot wait to get in there in Las Vegas November 27th yeah, I can't wait to get in there. Uh, it's, it's well overdue. We used to, we used, we we were set up on the course to fight years ago, you know, when it didn't make sense. And you know, now we're fighting for a bigger, t- bigger, bigger title, 
bigger stage, bigger money, and and of course makes sense. And to headline in Las Vegas, is that like a dream come true to you? I don't know. I I haven't thought that far far as like I don't I don't think too much on the stage because every stage is the same to me in my mindset. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I don't get overwhelmed or excited like, oh my God, man, this is a big stage or this is a big step up for me. I don't look at it like that because it's like, man, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like this is this is my lifestyle. So that's how I look at it. That's how I take everything in. And maybe at, after the fight, then I'll be like, damn, you know, I, I headlined in, in Las Vegas for a unification, but I never thought I would do that. Maybe after the fight, I'll think of that. But right now, I'm just thinking about fighting. I'm thinking about what what is he doing right now? How is he preparing? What am I doing to prepare? I'm I'm, I'm thinking about stuff like that. I'm not really so much uh thinking into the stage because I know it's going to be a big stage. I know it's a big stage, and I know I was made for that stage. That's a fantastic answer. Um, you were one of the brave people that predicted publicly that Brandon Figueroa would beat Luis Neri. Not many people agreed with you. He was the underdog. How impressed were you with his performance? And I've got to say, it did really make me laugh when you got in the ring afterwards and took his hat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't so much impressed because uh, Brandon, Brandon fought a Brandon Figueroa fight. Yeah, he fought his fight. I mean, some his style may be ugly to me or to whoever else, but he's good at what he do, and you can't take that away from him. He's there. He got there. So, I mean, of course, the, the opponent doesn't match up how my opponents match up, but he got there, and now we have to face one another. Now, the taking the hat thing, I, I told myself I was going to do that. That was that was kind of funny. <laughs> It was funny, it was funny. Um, how do you see this fight playing out, Stephen? Because I feel like you both have great respect for each other and you both highly rate each other as well. I feel like the fight will go however I make it, however I let it go, honestly. I feel like the fight is in my hand. I feel like well, I can I control the fight. So however I'm feeling that day, at that time, uh, in the switch of a moment while I'm in the ring, then that's how the fight will go. And of course, you only won the title in your last fight. You're going straight into a unification in your first defense. It seems like you're not in this boxing game for easy fights. Is your mission to become undisputed at this weight? Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be the first undisputed at this weight class. It's never been undisputed at this weight class. There we go. That's another. I mean, that if that's that's a perfect thing to motivate you with. Um, obviously, you hold a title. Brandon holds a title. Come November twenty seventh, one of you will hold two titles. That only leaves one other fighter that has the other two. Uh, Murajon Akhmadaliev. He's fighting the week before you guys, I believe, November nineteenth. Have you seen much of him, Stephen? If so, what do you think? Uh, I think he's a, a a good fighter. I wouldn't say very slick. I say he's skilled. Uh, it's just, he's not hard to figure out at all. Like I know his style. I fought his style of fight fight before. You know, I've been in the game for a while. Amateur. I feel like he's he he has a, a little experience than me. I have a lot more experience than him. Okay. So I feel like that will play a a, a huge part. Uh, may he come out victorious, and when I come out victorious. And, and we can we can link up and you know get get the fight on. 
Well, that'd be lovely. Like I say, it'd be fantastic to have the first uh, undisputed champion at this weight in 2022. That'd be amazing. Um, I want to ask you this as well. I'm going to put you on the spot a tiny bit here, um, but the listeners love to hear the answer to this question. Favorite UK fighter? Who springs to mind? It doesn't have to be the best fighter. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, it's just your personal favorite fighter of any era, by the way. Uh, from the UK, the who springs to... Oh, there we go. That's the most popular answer. Everyone loves the Prince. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go with his style. You got to go with how, how he carried himself. You got to go with uh, his, his his heart. You have to go with uh, the, the, the slickness, the playfulness, the joyfulness, the, the excitement. He brought excitement to others. And, of course, he's Muslim just as well as I am. Yeah, what a fabulous fight. I'm pleased that you said him. I love it when I hear you, especially younger guys mention guys like him. It, it proves to me you, uh, you you know your boxing. You know, that that's a, that's a great name. And just finally, before we wrap it up, Stephen, if you've got any closing words just to the listeners, uh, as, as, as well as the listeners in the UK as well, I'm sure you've had a lot of love from the UK. We really recognize a, a true champion and good fighters like yourself. Yeah, I got to give a uh, huge shout out to the UK because uh, they showed me nothing but love when uh, Carl Frampton brought me into his camp. Uh, I was in, what was that? Where, where was I at? Uh, what was that? Winchester? Uh, what was it called? Manchester? I was in Manchester for like a good month. And, you know, I rode in Rolls Royces. I went to the Anthony Joshua fight. Uh, it was just a, a great experience over there. So y'all showed me a lot of love, and I just want to give that back by eventually coming over there, you know, doing something fun for the UK. Hopefully I can put it on the show over there. Uh, once we get a good fighter or a good fight for me to, you know, stage over there. But other than that, I appreciate you for taking the time out to interview me. And thanks to all. November 27th, tune in. I will become unified. And then after that, we'll see what happens for me to become undisputed. And then I'll move up, of course. Yeah, we certainly will be tuning in and we would love to have you over here in the UK, believe me. Listen, Stephen, it's been an honour speaking with you. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for November 27th and I look forward to speaking with you sometime after. Appreciate you, thanks. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, usually the news part of the show, nothing to mention at the minute though, so if anything develops from now to the end of the show, I will mention it on the outro. Let's dive straight in then to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here with a card that takes place on Friday at York Hall, Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom. This one, I believe, is going to be on IFL TV's YouTube channel. Let's start with the undercard. A lot of prospects on the bill. Sean McGoldrick, 10-1. and uh, you've got William Hamilton, 2-0. and uh, Sam Gilly, 11-1. I think that's his first fight back since losing to Danny Ball. He gets in there with Daniel Larty, who's 14-5 and with a draw. That's over six rounds there. All the best to Sam Gilly, friend of the show. You've got Jordan Reynolds, 2-0 and in a six-rounder against 2-4-2 two, and two, Rodolfo Paterno. You've got Pierce O'Leary, 7-0 and in a step up over eight rounds against C.R. Osgall, 15-6. You've got... Um, Tursimbe Kalakmet 4-0. I think he's a Kazakhstani fighter, if I'm not mistaken. He gets in with Juan Carlos Abrao, who's 23-6 with a draw. That one there for the WBC International Super Welterweight title. Got a feeling he was a good amateur, that guy there, but I'll be honest, I can't... I'm not too sure about the guy. 4-0, three KOs, um, boxed in the amateurs. Yeah, he was a good amateur. He was a good amateur. I want to say... 
want to say he might have gone to the Olympics. I'm not sure, but he's one of those MTK prospects that you know is a good fighter with with a you know expected very bright future as a pro. And the main event, friend of the show, Archie Sharp, 20-0 in a 10-rounder for the WBO Global Super Featherweight title against Alexis Cabor, who's 28-4, fighter from Burkina Faso, 38 years of age. Obviously, not someone I think uh, you'd, you'd know. But, but going down his record, the losses have come to decent fighters, and one of them was to Ray Vargas back in 2016. He went the distance with Ray Vargas, who these days, of course, is um, still undefeated, you know? So he went the distance with him. Not many people do. So that tells me a lot about this guy's, um, you know, toughness and stuff like that. So it's going to be a big, big test there for Archie Sharp, who headlines his first card. I'm really pleased for him. And, um, yeah, hopefully he can get the you know, get in line, certainly, for Shakur Stevenson. He's right up there in the rankings. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be a good one there on Friday night at York Hall. Moving out now to the Entertainment and Sports Arena in Washington, USA. Over here, one fight to mention, friend of the show, friend of the show former world champion Demarcus Chop Chop Corley, still going, 51-33 and 33 these days with a draw, in an eight-rounder against Cornell Hines, who's 5-1, and one, all the best to Chop Chop. Uh, moving out now to the Silver Spurs Arena in Florida over here. Again, this one is on the Friday. We've got China's very own Fan Long Meng, 16-0. I believe he's been inactive for two years. In that time, he was supposed to have fought Arta Baturbiev for the world title. I'm not sure what on earth has gone gone on with him, to be honest with you. But he's back here against Israel Dufus, who's 20-6. and six. All the best to Fan Long Meng. I honestly think he's a good fighter. I remember seeing him beat... Um, Frank Buglioni in Monaco, and he hasn't really pushed on since then. Moving out now to the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London. It was supposed to be Otto Wallin against Dillian White. Dillian White, of course, pulled out the fight with a shoulder injury, but the show still goes on. Prospects on the card, Jordan Thompson, uh, John Hedges, Ellie Scottney against Eva Cantos. Uh, Johnny Fisher 3-0 against Alvaro Torero 15-13, or sorry, 5-13 with two draws. Alan the Savage Babic gets in with Eric Molina 28-7. Alan Babic 8-0, 8 KOs over eight rounds. Um, really good fight, by the way, between Yusuf Kamari 13-0 with a draw for the vacant WBC International Silver Super Featherweight title against Jorge David Castaneda 14-1. That's a big step up for Kamari there. Um, that's over 10 rounds. That's going to be a good fight, I think, there. That that honestly could go either way. I'm hearing decent things about Castaneda. Um, Kamari, you know, a lot of promise about the guy, but struggled to break through. I think he's been on the small hall shows. This is a big chance for him here. Uh, we've got Craig Richards, 16-2 and two with a draw friend of the show in a 10-rounder against Poland's Marek Matjea, who is 20-2 and two with two draws. Again, supposed to be quite a good fighter, this guy here. I spoke to Craig the other day. He doesn't know too much about his opponent here. He's expected to be a much tougher fight than you may think. And the main event has been elevated from the chief support status. So I'm very pleased for these two ladies here. Shan 
Chantel Cameron, 14-0, defending her WBC female super lightweight world title against America's very own, another friend of the show, Mary McGee, 27-3. She defends her IBF world female super lightweight title. All the best to both ladies there over 10 two-minute rounds. That's going to be a cracker. Believe me, that's one of the best fights, I think, that can be made in women's boxing, and we're going to get to see it on Saturday night on the zone, of course. Moving out now to the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Over here, um, Jerome Ennis gets out 27 and 0 in a 10 rounder against Thomas Delorme, 25 and 5 with a draw. Um, Jerome Ennis, of course, friend of the show. All the best to him. We've got prospects Michelle Rivera, 21 and 0 in a 10 rounder against Jose Matias Romero, 24 and 1. We've got Jamal James, 27 and 1. He holds a WBA World Welterweight title of some degree. He takes on the undefeated. Radzab Butayev, who's 13-0. and 0. Uh, That could be interesting there for Jamal James. I'd like to see him fight Michael Fox. Uh, moving out now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre. This one's the final card to mention. This is, or was supposed to have Jonathan Guzman on the card coming off a long layoff, but I'm not sure he's still going to be on it. But on the card, we have Jose Zapeda, 34-2. and 2. He was in one of the very best fights of last year against Ivan Baranchik. I saw him fight against Hank Lundy, I think his last fight, which was back in May, I want to say, on the uh, on the Josh Taylor Ramirez undercard. But anyway, he defends his WBC silver super lightweight title against Josu Vargas. 20, sorry, not 20, getting ahead of myself there. 19-1. and one. Is Vargas still training with Coach Ant, Eddie? I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay. Okay, all right. Well, yeah, like I say, for those that don't know, Coach Ant trains uh, trains Eddie, and Coach Ant was working with with um, Josu Vargas. So it's a it's a big fight for Vargas there against Jose Zapida, one of the best fighters at 140. We shall see how good Vargas is. It's a big step up. Uh, Zapida seems to be in good form at the minute. It's going to be a great fight. There's a lot of great great fights that's taking place on the weekend. A lot of 50-50s, I'm sure. As boxing fans, you'll be very busy come the evening on Friday and Saturday. There's a lot to choose from there. But that is it, though, for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap this up, the final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 315 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest, the undefeated WBO Super Bantamweight World Champion, Stephen Fulton. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. A big thank you as well to our sponsors, Manscaped. Remember to visit manscaped.com and use the promo code BOXHARD for 20% off plus free shipping. But that's about everything from myself enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week